Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hey folks, real quick before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much to the reviews that have come through on iTunes. We appreciate those a whole bunch. If you haven't left one yet and you like the show, we'd love to hear back from you on uh, iTunes, or you can head over to Instagram, click on the link in our bio, and that'll take you to the right place too. Additionally, wanted to make another mention about our Patreon giveaway. If you're a Patreon member, you are going to be entered into the drawing for our June 30th giveaway. As it stands right now, we are going to be doing a giveaway from Venado, Vector Custom Shop, Backwoods Grind Coffee, and Outdoor Addiction Taxidermy, and the OKest Hunter, as well as we are going to buy something where to hunt is going to buy something. So the money you pay for Patreon is five bucks a month. When you sign up for that, we're going to send you a can koozie and a sticker. They're okay. And we're going to take that money and put it right back into buying the stuff that we're going to give away. Right now, your odds are pretty good because we don't have that many members. So uh, if you are one of those members, sorry for promoting this. We're going to decrease your odds if we get more members but that being said your odds just are really good so let's get into this week's episode and if you're wondering where and or how to sign up for this whole patreon thing there is a link in our instagram bio i will also share it on our facebook page for those folks that uh, consume content there also where to hunt podcast it's okay it's okay it's okay it's okay hi i'm dan small host of outdoor wisconsin and i listen to where to hunt it's okay I'm Kurt Geyer with Working Class Bowhunter. I listen to Where to Hunt podcast, and it's decent. Uh, it's all right. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the Where to Hunt podcast is all right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast. The podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts, aka the okayest podcast in the Midwest. This is episode 131. I'm your host, Eric Clark, and uh, our co-host, Mr. Greg Tubbs. Where are you at, buddy? Here I, here I am. I'm uh, coming to you from my uh, living room in beautiful Lake Mills, Wisconsin. Nice. I like your living room. You had the fireplace. Is that pretty cheesy? No, man. Well, you're a pretty cheesy guy. And we are in Wisconsin where cheese is abundant. Cheese curds, nacho okay. cheese, all kinds of cheese. Yeah. The fresh cheese. And beer. Curds. Lots of beer. Lots of cows. <laughs> nacho cheese. <laughs> Dude, you were rocking a good fire the other night. Uh, it looked really nice and enticing and cozy. I wish I could say it was outside, uh, but due to our wonderful weather pattern that we've had been having here through the midwest um we elected to do it on the inside indoor fireplace uh gave it one last hurrah and hopefully everything from here on out's going to get done in the 
fire pit outside in the backyard. So hopefully yeah. past all that crappy weather. You got a bonfire? I need, uh, I need some nice weather to try and fill my turkey tag in the next couple of days. There you go. That a girl. You got a bonfire pit in the backyard, like a dugout one? <laughs> I said that a girl. But I was asking, do you have a bonfire pit, like so dugout? Or... I actually got like a... Yeah. yeah. No, actually, uh, I don't have a bonfire pit that, that's in the works uh, after I cut down this massive uh, ash tree that the borer got. Um, but for now, I just got one of those movable chimney things that's screened in all the way around and keeps embers from landing on things and lighting them on fire. So that's good. It, it works for now, uh, but be wrecking my backyard here soon to uh, make some improvements. Well, fun, dude. I'm excited. And once this all ends, we'll have to come over and cash some beer. You in person. One. I just got like one of those, you know, it yeah, just sits on my patio on the cement. That's nothing fancy. Anyway, uh, let's do our sponsorship call outs. Uh, we want to shout out to the company that keeps us energized. Uh, I've been drinking, you know, metric tons of it. Backwoods Grind Coffee Company. If you haven't heard of Backwoods Grind and you're first hearing this now, I'd be shocked. But if you are, be sure to head on over to backwoodsgrind.com and take a big whiff wafted in the smell of coffee is abundant and when you decide on the kind of coffee you want whether that's a sampler pack or a specific blend you can enter in code w2h podcast and get 10 percent off to keep some money in your pocket um you can also do a subscription with those guys to save some more money and make sure your coffee shows up every month so it's uh, it's pretty neat it comes very very fresh to your door they roast it themselves and then they'll grind it up to your specs and uh that's it it's pretty great also Head over to Gumleaf USA. I wear Gumleaf uh, wellies and the Royal Zips. I think you have the same, although there is another pair called the Vikings and a couple others too. But they are handmade from scratch. Where are they made, Greg? I was going to make you say it. No, no. You probably already having a brain fart aren't you I want, no, is I that just, why you're asking me no i never looked it up from last time are you trying are you trying to are you trying to test me yeah i want you to tell me where are they made they're, they're made in england man fucker where where are they made i just told you they're made in england and uh <laughs> you know if you go to their website they have a they're really made... cool video you can just watch them make it it's like really one of those like you know one of those videos that you watch where you just um oddly satisfying videos right that's what i was gonna say look they're great boots they're they're vibrant soles they're 85 percent natural rubber which you know if you don't know a lot of the boots you'll buy at a big box store have like you know a lot of plastic or pvc in them so they break down a lot quicker you'll you'll pay a good amount for them but they're not going to last nearly as long as the gum leaves um and we're walking proof of that so head on over there uh to gumleafusa.com enter in code w2h2020 and get 10% off. And I'd love it if you would continue to do the vectorcustomshop.com call out. All right. So if you're looking for a nice heavy carbon built to your spec arrow, look no further than Vector Custom Shop. Vectorcustomshop.com. You can get a test pack, which is two arrows of your weight and uh, spine type, uh, a half dozen or a dozen. Uh, you're rocking the ethics insert outsert system and you can go anywhere from 45 to 175 grains up front uh, enter in where to hunt and save 10 percent off those arrows how's that 
Well, you just get better and better at it every week. So I think uh, I'm really proud of you. And uh, I'm really loving my Vector Custom Shop arrows. I did a little video about them uh, a week or two ago just to show the penetration that I'm getting in contrast to the uh, Black Eagles that I was shooting before, Twizzlers. Now I'm shooting an adult arrow. Sure. Twizzlers. Yeah. Uh, I want to welcome our guests on the line. Kind of boy. Well, Greg, Greg Trainer. So it's going to get confusing with two Gregs on the show. But uh, Greg Trainer is the accessible hunter. What's up, Greg? Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here tonight and talk with you guys. Uh, I really appreciate it. Hey, we're happy that you're taking time out of your schedule and day to, to be here. Why don't you take a second? Tell the audience, you know, who you are and where you're from and, um, you know, what do you like to hunt, public land, private land? What do you like to shoot? And then we'll kind of go from there. Sure. Uh, my name's Greg Trainer. Um, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I grew up hunting mostly white-tailed deer and turkey, uh, a little bit of small game. Those are probably my, my favorites. I like to hunt deer and turkey. Right now is our spring turkey season. Um, I haven't gotten out uh, last week. The weather was a little bit bad here. We went from snow a couple of days to 60 degree weather today. So I'm still looking forward to getting my turkey uh, here in the spring. Um, we grew up uh, here in Pennsylvania and traveled around a little bit for work. And I'm uh, 52 years old and I'm a person with a spinal cord injury. Um, just enjoy hunting in the outdoors. That's that's what I really look forward to and uh, all, all the people I get to meet and the friends I get to go hunting with. Uh, that's kind of what keeps me going. That's good to hear. Um, Pennsylvania, I just talked to someone from New York like minutes before we jumped on here. They said it's snowing. Is it snowing over by you too? It was snowing Friday and Saturday uh, and it was cold this morning, but no, no snow. The sun's out. It's, it's kind of a nice day today. But for two days, it was just crazy weather here. Man, this whole this whole uh, spring transition and COVID stuff is just a tricky time to do anything. Um, but have you gotten out and done some turkey hunting, you know, through all of this? I have not. Um, I've been really abundantly cautious with the COVID-19. I've kind of stayed inside and really we're only doing some shopping for groceries that kind of thing but uh the the itch is really getting to me and i think if i just kind of go out next week by myself the weather is going to be good and um, we do some public land hunting we got some great state game lands here in southwestern pa and i think i'm gonna get out and do a little bit of hunting regardless and you know not not try to be around anybody but i haven't been out yet but it's really really got me going now that the weather's getting a little bit better here. I definitely need to get out and get in a ground blind and see if I can call one in. That's exciting. That's super cool. So let's, um, I don't know, I'd like to just kind of dive right in and, and unpack some things, you know, as the accessible hunter, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you said you got a spinal cord injury, uh, around 20, 21 years ago, which is interesting to think about. You just shared your age. I'm 34. So, you know, that'd have been three, four years ago, if that were me, and and just thinking about how you would navigate that. So, like, what what was that like, and how fast did you kind of go, um, 
to the mindset of I'm, I'm still going to do what I love. What was that transition like for you? Well, unfortunately, when I had my injury, I was 31. And um, I've always been kind of a type A personality. I've you know, been pretty athletic uh, growing up. And I kind of have, have a pretty strong mindset whenever I, I set my mind to something. But nothing could, could have prepared me for the injury. Um, I was living actually in Massachusetts on Cape Cod. And I, it was a diving accident. I was in waist-deep water on a uh, lake and I thought I dove out and I uh, must've just dove down and hit my head and I broke my neck at the C four or five level, which basically paralyzed me from my chest down. And I didn't have any arm movement at, at the time. And they life flighted me to Boston to bring them a women's hospital. And I had two surgeries on my neck and um, a cage put around it and basically was in an induced coma in Boston for a month. And I, I don't really remember any of that time in, in Boston, Brigham and Women's, but my family transferred me down to Shepherd Center in Atlanta, Georgia, which is a specialty spinal cord injury hospital. And that was probably the best decision that anybody could make for me because Shepherd Center really understands spinal cord injury. And they gave me a lot of the tools to cope with my injury and to show me that, you know, I could still be successful and still be able to do the things that I wanted to do. I just had to do it a different way. And it took me a long time to get physically strong enough to want to go hunting again. And actually, it took me a long time to get mentally strong enough again. But whenever I was at Shepherd, one of the first things they did was they kind of did an interview with me and found out what my likes and interests were. And I told them I was a really big bow hunter. I had been bow hunting since I was 15 years old and that was a, a passion of mine and he kind of said well we do a lot of target shooting you know you can still go hunting again and they took me down to the gymnasium and showed me some adaptive equipment and um, different mounts and a trigger activator that was uh, kind of made like a Gatling gun I don't know if you guys are familiar with it it's a BMF trigger activator a gentleman named uh, Norman York made it and he donated a bunch to Shepherd Center, and they got me shooting a 22 using it. And um, after I figured out that I could still go hunting again and still do things differently, I, I kind of start developing a plan that you know maybe things would be all right. I I wasn't really ready to hear it at the time that hey I want to go hunting next week, but that stuck in the back of my mind for a while that you know I could still still get out in the outdoors and still do things. It just took me a little bit of time to get strong enough to do it. The The mental part of that must have been, I would imagine, the hardest part. You got to make up your mind before you can get your body to do anything. I would be, uh, that would be really challenging. But we talked about, you know, a little you, bit. You know, you, oh, go ahead. You, yeah, please. Oh, you just, you, you do have a choice, but. Really, you, you don't. I mean, everybody has good days and bad days. Before my spinal cord injury, I had good days and bad days too. And um, you, know, you have to find a way to push forward. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but one of the things I learned at Shepherd Center really early was to find one thing every day to be thankful for and to concentrate on the positive. And heck, uh, 
not to lie, you know, some days it was we were having Cheerios for breakfast instead of scrambled eggs, you know. You have to search for things to be thankful for. But I, I think attitude goes a long way. And if you can uh, see the, the better part of things and, and not always concentrate on the negative, I think you're better off and can, you know, move forward with things. That's a good, that's a good, uh, you know, I believe in the quote, um, Colin Powell said, optimism is a perpetual force multiplier and or perpetual op- optimism is a force multiplier. I believe in, if you think optimistically about something, the outcome automatically is already in your favor versus thinking pessimistically about something. I have to imagine you need to be some sort of eternal optimist, you know, to get through some of that stuff. But what's it? What what did what did life start to look like? You know, beyond the mental transition, like how did you, how did you start to like figure things out? Like I wouldn't even know where to go. And we're talking about a time frame, mind you. This is you know twenty ish years ago. Things were much different then, right? The iPhone didn't come out until two thousand eight. We're still t- talking about you know the early two thousands. It was definitely a different time, and technology really was in its infancy as far as spinal cord injury, um, to give you an example, like home controls, like how you turn on your lights or answer your phone and things. Shepherd Center was, you know, the state of the art hospital specializing in spinal cord injuries. And they recommended a computer system to control my home. Well, that computer system was called Multimedia Max and it cost $15,000 to control lights and to make phone calls and things like that. Well, now, you know, Amazon Alexa does all that for $99 and works extremely well, you know, so much better than Macs ever did. So the type of technology that we had was just different. But Shepard gave me a really good starting point that there was a lot of different ways to do things. And then after my injury, um, and I sold my house on the Cape and I moved back to Pennsylvania to be closer to family, I decided after I got a little bit stronger to go back to school and I got my master's in rehabilitation counseling and assistive technology from the university of Pittsburgh. So I was able to keep up with different ways of doing things to use technology to my favor. And then I started thinking about hunting again and different ways to do that. And I contacted Buckmasters, um, their disabled uh, hunting foundation. And they actually sent me a, a really simple mount, And they sent me a Horton crossbow and that was back in uh, 2010 and that started me on, on hunting again. I was able to use the BMF trigger activator that I had seen at Shepherd Center that stuck in my head that that's how I'm going to pull the trigger is using my arm and using my wrist to to bump that trigger. And um, I spent a lot of time at the range, you know, sighting in that crossbow and kind of moving left and right just a couple inches where I had just a little bit of movement using that mount and up and down. I didn't have a lot of movement, but I had a little bit of movement and that was the start of it. That's pretty cool. Did you have a good support system around you with, uh, you know, friends, family, loved ones that you'd help kind of fetch arrows down range or, or, you know, hopefully you had some good folks around you to kind of help you through some of that stuff. Even just a task like that sounds daunting. I, I no. do. I, I absolutely do. Um, One of the things about a high-level injury or any type of change like that is you find out who your real friends are and who were just kind of like ancillary friends. Um, A lot of the people that I worked with, um, 
dropped off the face of the earth really quick. But the friends I had from high school and, you know, growing up, they stuck with me. So I always had that core group of three or four really good buddies that I grew up with. And, you know, I could depend on them for anything. If I called them in the middle of the night and said I needed something, you know, they were right there. And, and my family, of course, too. And um, you, when the chips are down, you really find out who has your back and who, who doesn't. And I was fortunate that I have really good friends and family that basically, you know, helped me and enabled me to go on crazy adventures and to be able to travel and, and go hunting. And I met some really good people um, that have foundations that take people hunting as well. And when I was really newly injured, you know, I, I relied on them for a lot of advice and how to do things. And then I would adapt that technology and kind of make it my own and make things a little bit better. So that it worked uh, better for me. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm definitely blessed with, with a good support system. That's good to hear. <clears throat> I couldn't imagine going through anything like that, but having, like I said, you find out, you find out who your friends are pretty quick and that's both good and bad, right? You, you know, maybe you weren't surprised to see some of the ones that you shed go away anyways, but uh, the ones that end up rising to the occasion, you know, it kind of overcompensates for any of the lost ones, I think. Um, that's good to hear. So what? Absolutely. And I think, go ahead. Sorry. No, yeah, there's a bit of a delay, so I apologize. I'm trying my best to not be my interrupting self. <laughs> so, um, But I was just going to ask, you know, what what was the first experience out like to rekindle yourself with nature and, and be out that way? You know, what were some of those initial thoughts and feelings like? Um I mean, I probably would have cried, to be honest. Like, I, I don't know if I could have held back tears from something like that. I'm even just talking about it right now, I'm getting a little choked up. It, not almost. I'm almost there. It's just, it's a, hearing your story already has gotten me kind of thinking through things. Um, maybe talk a little bit about that. Sure. One of the first things you have to think about is access to the outdoors. And I'm a high-level quadriplegic, and I'm using a power chair, so... People that are in manual chairs might have a little bit of a, of a different experience. I'm, I'm just talking about myself. Um, using a power chair, you have to really um, kind of be careful where you go. Uh, the chair itself weighs like 400 pounds, and they're you know not made for the outdoors. Nature is not ADA accessible. We always laugh and joke, me and my buddies, and say that. And at the, at the time, whenever I first started hunting, you didn't have your action track chairs, your track fabs. You didn't have the outdoor um, wheelchairs. So I had to basically hunt on the fringes. Um, I hunted basically in people's backyards or kind of urban uh, uh, or suburban areas where I had friends that had some property and they said, hey, you know, we have some deer coming in at, at the end of the property. Why don't you do that? So I was rolling down through people's driveways and the across their lawns and setting up ground blinds and going out for short periods of time and, and hunting that way and gaining a little bit of success uh, doing that. And there was also a group in Pittsburgh, um, Waitell Wild Management, and one of my first successful hunts was in a cemetery, believe it or not. And uh, we had a good time. I was able to get a really nice eight-point in a doe with those guys, and that was my first successful hunt was in a, in a cemetery in 
in Pittsburgh, uh, close to Children's Hospital in the city. So it was kind of a wild time um, and just a great group of guys. And you, you wouldn't think you would have that much fun now uh, in, in, in the city, you know? Yeah, it's, that's cool. We just did an episode on suburban hunting a couple of weeks back. Um, you know, and I think you mentioned that you actually did some hunting in Wisconsin. Which group got you out in our neck of the woods all the way from, from Pittsburgh? That was um, off the United Federation for Disabled Archers. And those guys were actually the first time I went out of state on a, on a hunt um, after my spinal cord injury. We hunted at a camp up near Madison, and um, those guys could not do enough for us. Uh, my brother John and I drove up, and it was uh, a great experience. It was super cold, but I was so excited to go out and get a chance at some of the bigger deer. Uh, Wisconsin, you guys are known for some big bucks, and we had a really good time, and they fed us well, and I got to meet you know a lot of people that had you know, disabilities of different different forms, and uh, they, they treated me really well. So that's a great organization. Uh, probably close to you guys. Yeah, I'm hearing about them from you for the first time. I'm not sure, Greg, have you heard of any uh, organizations like that? Um, you're close from Madison, actually. I have not, but I think, uh, yeah, I know Wings Over Wisconsin does something like they, they had something on Larry Smith Outdoors uh, not too long ago, maybe a year or two ago, that they were, were showing off the track chairs. Uh, to get disabled hunters out and i know our dnr and some of the areas around me here has been pushing to try and put together a few areas for disabled hunters you know over duck ponds and things like that so a little at a time you know we get more and more people involved with it then we could see that become you know those those ideas come to fruition I got, uh, I hunt some property over it's a low, low lake unit in the Kettle Moraine uh, here in Wisconsin. I haven't hunted there in a little while, but they have some public properties out that way. And I know there's, um, you know, some disabled access out there because I, I doing some scouting and exploring and, and I was like, Oh, look at this. This is great. There's like a whole path out there and there's like a, a blind that's, you know, built out of wood and stuff like that. And that's what it's for. And, uh, I know a buddy of mine, um, that I lost touch with now, but in, when I was in college, you know, he's a big hunter, um, you know, in a wheelchair and he talked about going on a lot of different hunts and there's even sp- certain times when he can go on hunts to make sure that he's getting that access that he needs and hopefully getting eyes on, you know, game, which is pretty cool. I think a lot of people that are newly injured or trying hunting for the first time with a disability will go on group hunts and it's a great experience because people have so many things figured out for you and they can kind of guide you. And then after you get your feet wet and kind of experience a few hunts, then you want to do things on your own or maybe with friends and family like you used to do. And I know here in Pennsylvania with state game lands, you know, they have access that um, is wheelchair accessible and is the hunting population gains, uh, you know, gets older and the game commission really tries to keep people hunting. I think they're improving access, not only for, you know, people in wheelchairs, but older hunters as well that can't go as far into the woods and want to hunt out of accessible blinds. And I think the game commissions are, are doing a lot better job than they ever did. That's pretty cool. That follows the R3 movement a little bit, you know, the recruit, um, you know, reactivate and retain that 
probably falls under the reactivate and retain side of things. Um, and recruit too, you know, Hey, you can go hunt. Here's some areas. That's a, that's a good point. It's good to hear that they're doing a good job. How have you, how Greg, uh, absolutely. There's that delay. How have you, um, evolved since, you know, the 2010s, you know, we're 10 years from your first trip back out. Uh, you know, what are things look like now? What has that evolution been like for you in terms of like your equipment and, and how you have success afield with either a crossbow or, or a rifle? You know, what kind of things have you done? Speaking about equipment and the evolution of that equipment, I want to take a second for our The Shot of the Week. Right, the shot of the week is brought to you by Vector Custom Shop. Head on over to VectorCustomShop.com and enter in code where to hunt to get 10% off. Yeah, this year uh, was the first year of bow hunting. Well, actually, I was successful bow hunting uh, with turkey. So opening day, I shot a nice long beard two-year-old with a bow uh, within 15 yards. So I've actually attempted that twice and lost both of those birds. And then this oh, wow. year... Uh, it was awesome. Buddy of mine filmed for me, so it uh, came out great. That's Very awesome. Happy. Did you take a headshot, yeah. or what'd you do? Body Just shot? below neck, yeah. So I, was, I figured if I'm low or high, I'm still going to hit vital. So I, was, I aimed for the waddles and then literally stoned him. He didn't even didn't even flinch a minute. You know, it's, it was awesome. Just, yeah, that was so. it, done for. You didn't have to, like, go over there and hold him down or none of that. Huh? Not at all, yeah. He was dead as soon as the arrow hit him. Cool. What are you shooting for your setup? Uh, tripan for a broadhead. Okay. So same with bow hunting or same with deer hunting. So uh, the tripan has worked great. I've used that ever since I think it first came now. I used to be this standard two blade rage and I uh, went to the tripan and I literally all the deer I've shot with that in the last five years, four or five years, haven't left my sight. All right, let's get back into the interview. Thanks so much for the shot of the week. If you enjoy that segment, let me know if you want to be featured. If you got something to say, we'd be happy to hear it. Drop us a message. Uh, you can do that through Facebook Messenger, Instagram Messenger, or you can send us an email from our website. Sure. Um, I started off with the simple mount from Buckmasters, which was basically a stick um, that was holding my crossbow, and I attached it to my wheelchair. And I had a little bit of left and right movement. And a buddy of mine, he and I developed a, a different mount. Um, and he welded it up for me. We kind of designed it that it would hold either my rifle, my crossbow, or my shotgun. And I was using the BMF trigger activator. But the trouble with that is it, it um, goes into my trigger housing. And I can't feel my hands. Um, I lose feeling in my bicep. So I'd have to look through my scope and then look at my hand to pull the trigger. Well, I found a different company um, called Be Adaptive out of Indiana. And they make a sip and puff trigger. It's basically a straw and you suck on it and it uses a 12 volt mm. um, system that pulls the trigger. So um, it's like a car window or a car lock. When you suck on the straw, it pulls the trigger for you. And that gave me a lot more control sure. with rifle hunting, um, where you have to be a lot more precise. I still use the BMF trigger activator for my shotgun 
because I can kind of, you know, pull it a little bit. But I used the sip and puff for my rifle. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm shooting inch and a half groups, inch groups uh, at 100 yards. And as long as I have a little bit of time to get on a deer, um, I feel like I can be successful. I don't have a ton of movement, but my wheelchair has changed dramatically. I have an outdoor wheelchair. I originally started off with the action track chair, and it was just a little bit too wide for me. I had to trailer it everywhere. It's a it's a great chair, and I know a lot of buddies still use Action Track, and I think they're a great company. But I switched um, three years ago to a Track Fab, which is made here in Pennsylvania, about an hour from my home, and um, it's only 30 inches wide, so I can get it into my adapted van. I can take both wheelchairs with me on trips. I can take this outdoor chair into hotel rooms with me to charge up at night, which is uh, really funny. If you want to see people's expressions change, um, I do a lot of hunting down in Maryland, and I, I got a great, great hotel there. Uh, the manager gives me a good break, but when I roll through the doors in my track fab with my gun mount on the front of it and my crossbow mount it, and I'm dragging leaves in his <laughs> lobby and, and going in, it's just amazing. People look at me and they're like, hey, did you get anything? And I've been fortunate the last couple of years. I've been able to say, yeah, you know, it's at the meat packer. I, I got this or that. And it's just a, a really good time. Uh, technology's changed so much and it's so much more reliable uh, now. And I'm really thankful to have it. It's cool. So it's safe to say you're having some fun with this. I mean, how cool your friend that helped you build the mount, like how fun was that project? How exciting for both of you, right? It, it's really awesome. Um, He's a welder by trade, so everything's really, you know, precision made. And we uh, came up with with the mount idea and then the sip and puff. And we also use a commercial mount on the front. It's a hog saddle that kind of keeps everything tight. And instead of zip tying and ratchet strapping down my my rifle and and crossbow, I'm using that uh, hog saddle. And it, it really tightened up my groups because... The, the gun's not moving around and I'm not kind of following around and we're on our, our third uh, rendition of the mount. Um, uh, it's, it's amazing. Uh, there's so many companies out there making commercial mounts, but they don't really fit, you know, each individual. So having a mount made you know, specifically for me made, made a big difference to me. And have you, I have to imagine as you've encountered, I can imagine that oh, ahead, you're out here. Go ahead, go ahead, Tubbs. Thank you. No, no, you. No, 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 no. You go, you go. I was just gonna say it, it's got to be nice. You be quiet now. <laughs> it, it, it really got to be nice to, to have. Yeah, to be able to to set your eye relief or well get the correct eye relief. It, it's a custom mount just for you, and all you got to do is probably pull it right up to you, and and it's right there not a whole lot of jockeying around to get, get things where it needs to go. My, my chin falls right at the end of the, uh, the mount, the the end of the stock and it's almost perfect alignment, but you can tell you're, you're a shooter, Greg, because you mentioned eye relief. And that's one of the big issues is if that, you know, scope's not mounted right for me. Um, a lot of times I'll have to modify the stock, um, using like an AR, an AR stock, makes a big difference that I can shorten it. But that's one of the big challenges for people 
with disabilities is getting good eye relief. And I, I stumbled upon Tacticams this year. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them or, or not, um, but a buddy yep. of mine is yep. I've heard of complete, he's completely blind, and he recommended that I use the Tacticam. They're filmed through the scope, and it can connect to my iPhone. And then, you know, eye relief's not so much of a problem. I can still see everything going on in the scope, and it uses just a remote control one button so I'm even able to to record my own hunts now um, using the Tacticams and, and get, you know, the eye relief that I, I couldn't get before on, on all the different guns. My shotguns are a little bit of a problem. I, I don't get the full sight picture, um, but I, I use it for turkey and pheasant. So it's not, you know, that big of a deal, the eye relief on it anyway. But I'm, I'm learning as I go for eye relief. That's a big issue. Man, there's so much to consider. Pheasant there's so many has pieces. has got to be an interesting challenge. You first, Greg. There, there's a local gun club. There's a local gun club that puts on a pheasant hunt for people with disabilities every year, and they they actually put the birds out and kind of put them to to sleep by tucking their head under their wing, and then they'll they'll have the dog there. Yep. And when they when the dog points, then they kind of release the bird. And it gives guys like me a, a, an opportunity to get a couple of shots. I, I probably shoot a box of shells, but I come home with three pheasants, and I think that's just the greatest thing in the world, you know. If I can get get a couple of shots, then I'm happy whether whether I, I miss. If, if it's a clean miss, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I definitely don't want to wound anything. Um, but as long as I'm out there sure. shooting, I'm having a good time, you know. Yeah, with your limited range of motion, I I got to believe that's got to be a really great feeling to to be able to take a bird down like a pheasant. It it's definitely a challenge, and I enjoy hunting out of a ground blind and and getting set up for deer and turkey, where I'm I'm almost sitting in ambush, where I've got you know ten or twelve yards one way or the other, and then I I can tilt my chair using the recline feature on it. Um, about every 20 minutes okay. or so, I have to re- I have to recline my chair so that I get pressure off my bottom. Um, otherwise, I'd get a sore. Um, so the the wheelchairs that I use have a recline feature, and that kind of gives me my elevation whenever I'm hunting. But I basically have to pick out where I think that deer's chest is going to be at, and then whenever they you know walk into the killing zone, I can kind of move a little bit one way, left or right, and if I turn my chair on I can go up and down a little bit to uh, get a good shot sure and you know it, it's amazing that, that it works out but I've, I've been really successful at it I just have to take my time and, and really uh, take an ethical shot I'm I'm, I'm such a stickler for that I, yeah I don't so, want to wound I don't want to wound anything or you know chase anything around all afternoon either and um, spend a lot of time at the range and uh, it, it, it's fun I I consider it my therapy to be out and there's no place I'd rather be than in the woods in, in October, you know? No doubt. You know, sure. one of my favorite, so this has been an ultimate test of. It's just that delay, Greg. It's not me. I swear. Go ahead, buddy. So, sorry, man. No, it's, it's my end. I'm sure of it. Um, it's been an ultimate test of your, your patience for sure. Then, you know, being disabled, you're very limited in your movement. And like you said, you're trying to pick an ethical shot or you're trying to pick that spot where you think the deer is going to 
offer a clean shot in the vitals. And I'm sure you have to pass on enough stuff to test your patience. Greg, about three years ago, I was hunting with my friend Ricky Mills, and um, we had an absolute monster, one of the biggest deer I had ever seen hunting. And I needed him to take literally two more steps. I had the crosshairs of my crossbow um, at 23 yards on his neck, and he, he needed to take two more steps that I could have gotten a really good vital shot. And the doe behind him walked into the woods and he turned around and, and followed her into the woods. Mm-hmm. And we, we got it all on film and it was just, oh my God, you know, if I was able bodied, I, I could have shot that deer 10 different times, but it was just, it was so great sure. being there hunting to, to have that opportunity. Now I was, I was dying inside because I didn't get the shot, but it was, it was an experience that I'll never forget and probably talk more about the one that got away than the one you get, you know, but, uh, you definitely yep. have to have patience and, and you can't take a, a bad shot. I mean, yell it to the game. And, um, I was, I was so close to pulling the trigger. I just literally needed that buck to take two more steps. And sometimes you think they have a sixth sense about them, you know? Well, they definitely do. Yeah. It's really ghostly creatures. Do. Yeah. I got to say my favorite thing, uh, you know, about talking with you, Greg, so far is just, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in, in no excuses and you are the king of that then. I mean, for anybody else out there, not, you know, disabled in any way, there's no excuse. And you've hunted um, plenty of states. And we're looking at the notes here that you got Pennsylvania, Illinois, Missouri, North Carolina, Texas, Maryland, and obviously Wisconsin too. Um you've done more disabled than I've done not. And it, it, it just makes you think you need to appreciate, you know, every day that you get as a gift. And, um, not only that, you've, you've had a ton of success, a field too. And we just talk about like bird hunting. I'm the worst bird hunting uh, shot there is. I can't shoot, you know, sporting clays or, or trap to save my life. Uh, I don't know what the deal is. I just suck at it. Um, but I probably haven't practiced enough or tried hard enough. And you know, what, as we kind of navigate through um, the rest of the topic here, um, you know, is there anybody that you that goes with you frequently for these things? That that's kind of like your go-to. You mentioned some of your hunting buddies, um, and you have some notes here about some of your longtime friends. Is there anybody that you want to call out here and and really just being there with you through all this? Well, uh, my my friend uh, Matt Sepas down in Maryland, he, he has some property and he always, uh, you know, invites me down every year to, to hunt Maryland. Um, uh, my brother, John, I, I go hunting a lot with, uh, my nephew, Adam, um, we, we, we all kind of, uh, get together and, and, and go out and make things happen and spend a lot of time at, at the shooting range. And, um, you know, I, I've got family and friends that are willing to, to, to go with me. And, uh, that's, that's the, the important thing, um, not giving up and, and finding ways to overcome, you know, getting into the woods or, you know, how do we do this or how do we do that? Um, I'm, I'm really fortunate that I'm able to go a lot of places and hunt and I, I get, you know, offered trips to go where, where people say, Hey, you know, if you buy your license and, and, uh, you know, pay, pay the lodging, 
we we will charge a guide fee that that kind of thing so i'm I'm fortunate to be able to to get to go on these trips you know and the more people you talk with and they they realize that you're passionate about it and and that you're going to be a good guest and and kind of do the right thing and not not be out there you know shooting at everything that moves that you're you're kind of a lot like them and people are more than willing to help you once once they know that you know you're you're passionate about the same things they are. Yeah, I, I would echo that. Um, how, how have you, what are some like gotchas? What are some things that like, you know, we might not think about that you have to deal with? I know um, if you go with some friends, maybe you have like a ground blind, but what if you, how do you navigate going by yourself? What kind of technology do you use to make sure you're communicating back with, you know, friends and family or how are you setting yourself up in the woods, you know, for success? What does that look like? Well, using my track chair, I'm able to, once once we get to the, the hunting place, I can go and, you know, my brother will, will set me up, um, put my crossbow in, in my mount. Um, I, I have to plug in my, my trigger activator. Uh, one time I forgot to plug the trigger in, so I was just sitting there not, not being able to take any shots. <laughs> that was funny. There's, there's kind of things that if you don't think about it, if you don't plug your trigger in, then you become a, uh, a deer watcher, not a deer killer. You'll do that with time. Um, the, the, the mount that I, that I made to hold my, um, rifle on or crossbow, I put some Velcro on it that I can Velcro my iPhone to it. And then I I wear an earbud and I can just have Siri, you know, do the the text message or or make a call by voice in, in case of emergency. That's, that's one of the things that, if I am hunting by myself, I always make sure I have access to my phone and, and to be able to use Siri. Um, that's, that's been a lifesaver on that. Um, not being able to feel my extremities is a big, big issue. So when I go, you know, archery hunting in November and it's super cold out, I got to make sure that I'm bundled up, that I have like a wool blanket that I put on my legs and I wear boot blankets on, on my feet. And uh, last year we started using the uh, Mr. Mr. Buddy uh, blind heater, which I thought would spook deer, but it didn't really have any any issues. But you can't get your feet close to the heater or anything like that, and you have to be really careful with what the weather is and and um, doing your weight shifts so that you don't get a a skin sore and things like that. You have to be smart. Um, when I was younger, I could hunt all day, but now I kind of go out in the morning for a little bit and then come back and, and get some lunch or a lot of times I'll either wait and just go out in the afternoon and, and hunt the evening. That that seems to be my, my most productive time is going out about two or three in the afternoon and, and hunting till dark. Nice. Those are, uh, again, the things that I think some of us take for granted that we, I just don't have to, we don't have to worry about that you have to take extra precautions and considerations into your hunt on top of, chasing an elusive game anyways. And, you know, that just really goes to show that it's a passion that's deep within your bones because you're willing to go through those extra steps because it fulfills you and fills your bucket and, and scratches that itch and, and that passion that you have. Um, that's really great that you've been able to overcome so much with that. You definitely have to have a good plan. And that, you know, involves just leaving the house, whether you're going for an overnight or you're going for a week. There's a lot of medical issues that I have to take, you know, supplies with me for that kind of thing. And 
uh, wheelchair chargers and, you know, extension cords to plug the chargers in. And you have to have a, an adapted van to be able to take the wheelchairs. And there is so much planning that goes into it. But that's half the fun. Mm-hmm. Even as an able body hunter, I think when you're planning a big trip, you always make a hunting list and make sure you don't forget your shells and your license and, you know, that kind of thing. There's just a few more things that you have to remember to take with you. But they, they are important. And some things you can buy at a local pharmacy or a local Rite Aid, but other things you want to make sure you have with you. And if it's really important, make sure you have two. Yeah, I think that that's definitely part of it for everybody. You know, the anticipation and the prepping and planning. You know, I, I think I've, I, you know, I'm one to make analogies. And uh, I think at one point I likened hunting to <laughs> wedding planning that never stops. And I'm not sure that my wife really liked that analogy. <laughs> but what I was saying is you spend so much time on the prep, on the preparation. And then it all goes by in the blink of an eye when you get to the thing you're doing but it's all worth it. And it, it, and if it wasn't for all that planning, it wouldn't have gone as well as maybe as it, as it did. And, uh, and if you didn't plan, that could have gone terribly, you know, um, it's just, uh, that is, that is almost all of the fun. In fact, some people have reported allegedly, according to my wife, uh, you know, post wedding depression, you know, once the big day is done, you're like, well, there's this big void missing. Cause I don't have to plan something every day of the, you know, the year, so to speak. So for us as hunters, we always get something to plan. There's always one more hunt to go on and plan for the next one. Yeah, that's cool. Greg and I are uh, quasi starting to plan for an elk hunt, I think. Right, Greg? Yeah, looking forward to that. Um, Right now, it's just a matter of locating an area and uh, assessing gear, I think and then getting off our butts and probably getting into better shape than what we are. Yeah. Yeah. The, the COVID stuff for the last two months talk about, we talked about the, the atomic habits and, and changing a, a small, tiny, you know, uh, factor in your trajectory and you're going to end up in a totally different place. I got to say, boy, oh boy, I could have been doing the last two months differently with working out or something. And I just haven't. And <laughs> the result shows in my fat face on this podcast. I've, I've put on, I've packed on a couple pounds and, are going to take some work to shave off. <laughs> I don't want to shave my beard. I'm going to look, I'll look like a different person. That's your, that's your scotch face. You know, I've, I actually haven't been drinking that much. It's just Tuesdays. I've made it a thing. And honestly, this, uh, you know, get a shameless plug in here for these guys. <laughs> <laughs> this drop time spirits, 12 point bourbon. It's doing its job. It is good. It's good. If you guys haven't tried this stuff, I recommend it. And in fact, um, Greg Trainer, this is in your neck of the woods. Uh, they're they're shipping out in New York. Um, that's not far from you. You probably have a bottle of twelve point bourbon at your doorstep and, and lickety split. If you're into that, you know. If you're into you know, that. don't tempt me. I might. I I I definitely should place my order because uh, I think I would enjoy that. Um, I'm not a not a huge drinker, but I, I I do like a good a good whiskey or a good bourbon, and uh, I'd, I'd be giving giving it a try. You wouldn't have to twist my arm too much <laughs> and the logo like their their logo is is a real looker you know it's a i'll put it in front of the camera for those that are watching the live video but that's a nice looking buck if i ever saw one it's uh it's a beaut it's a 12 pointer <laughs> that's pretty neat but i suppose this Can't is go a, wrong no 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 this is as good a time as any you know if you want to share with us your most memorable hunt you know um 
whether that's before the injury or after, I'm I'm really excited to hear what you have to say for this story. I'm, we're just going to kick back and listen. Well, I've, I've gone on a number of hunts, you know, before my injury and after, but I think I'd like to talk about um, two years ago, I went down to Maryland and um, I was hunting with Matt Cephas, as, as I kind of mentioned earlier, but also had some buddies that were hunting um, from New York and New Jersey, uh, Ricky Mills from Wild Jaeger and, and John McCallum, and uh, they were hunting in Easton, PA, which was right close to Annapolis, and uh, I was hunting on, on Matt's property, so we got together and we're, we're able to kind of all link up, which that doesn't happen very often at all, so I had all of my buddies in, in one place, and um, we would go out for seafood and in the, in the afternoon for lunch and then go hunting, and uh, Matt and I, you're able to hunt on a Sunday there. So Matt and I were hunting Sunday and uh, I killed a really nice, nice deer using my 10 point crossbow. It was a five point. It wasn't a, a monster buck by any stretch of the imagination, but I made a nice shot on it on Sunday and I was late coming back to dinner. I was meeting those guys at a seafood restaurant and Matt and I came in and uh, they were like, you're late cause you killed something. And I was like, yeah, we got a nice buck. And, it was just like a really a celebration. Everybody was happy and uh, it was kind of sticks in my mind, not, not because of the deer, but just because all of us were together. And uh, Matt and I um, hunted together before my injury. We've been friends a long time. And I took my track chair through a swamp to a ground blind that he set up and he was making all kinds of excuses saying, Hey, this wasn't swampy when I put the ground blind out and, I was harassing him, telling him he was trying to get me stuck and giving him just a rash of shit about how bad of a spot it was. And we ended up killing a deer and it was that back and forth thing with your buddies, you know? And, uh, I was telling him that we weren't going to kill anything. And then, uh, I ended up killing that deer and he's like, well, we're back in here. How are we going to get this out? And I used my, my track fab to drag the deer out. And he was like, Oh my God, I can't believe that chair is dragging this deer and all of your shit through the swamp. And it was just funny, you know, it was, it was kind of like we were in our twenties again, not in our fifties, you know, it was, it was funny. So I, uh, I've got a lot of memorable hunts, but that was one that sticks in my memory. And then Matt sent me a picture of me and the deer in, in front of the ground blind. And I got it here on my wall and I'm looking at it. So it's, it's a memorable hunt that you hunt with, you know, friends and family and, uh, it was a good time. So that's, that's the one I'd, I'd like to talk about tonight, I guess. That's great. The camaraderie of hunting has got to be one yeah, of the biggest camp. draws. Yeah, Greg, go ahead. Yeah, it's just like deer camp, you know, with all your, your good friends and, and family around you, even if you don't shoot something or if you shoot something that, you know, maybe you had been happier shooting something bigger, but you're just happy to be there and you had the company and, the camaraderie to, to make it that much better. Oh, it, it, exactly. And, you know, the good thing about Maryland is you can get more than one buck. You can apply for a, a different tag. So whenever I had a good shot at the five point, I, it was still early in the week and I thought, well, I'm going to, you know, take the shot. And if, if I get an opportunity, I'll, I'll hold off on a, 
on a bigger deer, but I'm glad I, I took it because that opportunity didn't come. I, I had seen a bunch of deer, but I wasn't able to turn and, and get on them, you know, the rest of the week. And, you know, people work really hard setting up ground blinds and, and cutting trails and things for me. And it's nice whenever I can be successful and, you know, get, get a shot. And uh, it was just a great experience from, you know, the, the, the whole trip. I, it, I wouldn't, wouldn't change a thing on it. Cool. I love that stuff. And it always popped in like local restaurants. I know last year for gun, Greg Tubbs, you joined our gun hunting party and we ended up going to some local diner and, and the waitress who we, we'd never actually never been there. We've been hunting out of the same kind of area for seven or eight years now. And the diner was called my dad. What was she calling him? Daddy-o. I mean, like <laughs> it's just sim- simple things like that. That's indelible. That That's yeah. what I'm remembering right now is the waitress calling my dad daddy And so guess what? This year, November, I'm really looking forward to going back there. And if that same lady's there, we're like, oh, you're the one that called my dad daddy And it's going to become a thing. And that's fun. And that's that's the weird stuff that's not in the forest or the woods that is memorable uh, because you're spending it with people that you care about, you know, and you're having a good time with it. Absolutely. It becomes a tradition and you look forward to it and you develop those relationships too. You know, whether it's at the hotel, you know, me, me dragging leaves through the guy's lobby and him laughing about it because I go back every year and, you know, I put on Facebook what a great time I have and uh, you develop relationships with people and you look forward to it. And if that same waitress is there, you know, you're going to give, give her a, a good tip and she's going to, you know, laugh about calling you daddy-o and say, yeah, I remember you guys. And it'll be a really good time. I'm, I'm hoping she is still there yeah, for you. Yeah. yeah, that's just it. So that's, that's cool. I'm glad that that's what, you know, stood out for you as a memorable hunt. That's great to hear. We need more of that. And honestly, at least here in Wisconsin, gun hunting really kind of brings that out. We, you know, go, bow hunting is a little bit more of a ninja sport. You're kind of going at it alone and you're really kind of uh, trying to conceal yourself and this and that. And gun hunting is you're going out with the fellas and, and, and the group and the fam and, you know, everybody else. It's more of a group effort than the bow hunting. You might go with like maybe one buddy here and there, but, um, you know, that camaraderie piece is a big deal that people kind of forget sometimes or don't maybe uh, it doesn't stand out as much. And it, and it really does usually, but just people don't talk about it as much, I guess. Right. That's cool. That's cool. How do people, um, we'll, we'll wrap up. How do people find you? How do they get in touch? You obviously have a lot to offer, a lot of knowledge to share, um, for anybody that, you know, is going through anything or had, had had some sort of accident or they're learning how to, you know, um, navigate a new lifestyle. You know, how do they reach out to you? I'm will, I'm assuming you're very willing and open to help people out. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's why I actually started Accessible Hunter was to, you know, provide information for people and be a resource. The best way to get a hold of me is probably on Facebook on my Accessible Hunter page. Um, I also have an Instagram page, Accessible Hunter. And uh, a buddy of mine, Mike Hudson, and I started a podcast recently, just a couple episodes, but Accessible Hunter podcast. So any anytime you Google Accessible Hunter, I'm probably going to pop up and I'd be more than willing to, you know, give people my opinion or my ideas. And if I can help anybody get back in the outdoors and to get hunting in it again, that's, that's my passion. And I'd be more than happy to talk with anyone. That's great. I think that's how we linked up was Instagram. If I'm not mistaken, it could have been Facebook, but I, I know recently it was yeah, Instagram. Abs- 
that was definitely Instagram. I've been looking at your grilling pictures. You've been grilling some great steaks. Uh, I'm a little, little jealous of today. Uh, that, that was a heck of a barbecue you were putting on. I am learning. I have uh, really no idea what I'm doing, <laughs> but it's been really fun to experiment with that thing. And my wife's been very happy with the results. So I guess if she's happy, I'm happy. But it's it's fun. Thanks for following following along. It looks awesome. Greg Tubbs, when are you going to get a, a pellet grill? Good question. Uh, probably going to wait till this uh, other one dies and take care of a few other things around the house first, like the garage door opener that just died this <laughs> weekend. Uh, okay. It's another project to to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I might have to come kill your your girl for soon you. Enough. We'll just say, oh, I don't know what happened. I must have died. Don't tell your wife. Well, that's all right. I got I got the old school Weber. I can cook like a caveman too if I have to. Yeah, I got one of those. They're good. Well, uh, Greg uh, Trainer, thanks so much for being on the show. I'm going to end the live feed here, uh, but thanks for everything you shared with us. Um, Honestly, man, you're a real inspiration. You're you're not like any other guests we've ever had on before, and I appreciate you so much for for taking time to to be on the show and for following along too. Um, you know, hopefully, everyone go check out Greg's podcast and hear what he has going on, and um, go follow his Instagram and and YouTube and Facebook. Thank, thank you so much, Eric and Greg. I really appreciate you guys having me on and uh, let me tell my story. And I'll definitely keep following you guys. I I appreciate everything you're doing, and I look forward to uh, listening and and seeing more of you guys. Thanks again. Thank you. All right, welcome to the hunting news segment of this show. This segment is brought to you by eHunter. It stands for Electronic Hunt Resource. They are your go-to site for anything and everything hunting related. eHunter is the last one-stop shop resource you will ever need. Head on over to eHunt and the letter R.com to check those guys out. Um, actually, leveraging their site a little bit to learn more about the elk hunt that we're planning for 2021. Let's hear what they have to say this week. Hey, where to hunt listeners? This is Casey with eHunter again. Once again, appreciate you guys giving us a few minutes here to dump some headlines on you from the last week. First up, we have uh, an incident or a pair of incidents from Montana where two grizzly bears were euthanized in one week for killing livestock. Uh, Both of these cases were handled in compliance with the Interagency Grizzly Bear Committee. Uh, They've set forth some guidelines. That's actually a U.S. Forest Service committee dedicated to grizzly issues in the West. Interestingly enough, the same committee was in our news recently about their concerns over whether hunting would be a viable solution to the grizzly bear problem out West. So there's that. Uh, Another grizzly bear incident in Wyoming, a shed hunter was attacked. He didn't die. Uh, He's okay. Uh, Wildlife officials handled the scene. Uh, May 1st was opening day for shed antler hunting. Uh, Out West, they have to be protective of that to give animals space during their winter seasons to not be bothered. There's a legal battle still kind of hanging and in process over elk feeding grounds in Wyoming. So once again, the winters are bad enough that lots of, in lots of places, there are these processes that have been set in place for feeding the elk partially, at least partially, to keep them off of ranches in the wintertime 
uh, to keep the wild animals from competing with domestic animals for forage, right? So we, we, farmers still have to feed their cows. They still have to have something to eat. So government feeds these elk in their winter range to keep them off of farmland. The problem with feeding the wild animals this way is it's, it's a breeding ground for chronic wasting disease. So good informative article there on that process, that legal battle in Wyoming. And last but certainly not least, we're seeing a rise in hunter numbers in the U.S. during the pandemic. It seems that people are becoming more concerned with being able to source their own protein and being outdoors and lots of statistics associated with that. It's really interesting stuff. So once again, I want to close with this idea that we are open to thoughts, questions, concerns, suggestions, whatever you have to send our way. Uh, We would love to hear from you. So engage with us on the website or social media. And uh, thanks again. Take care. Hey there, so the tip of the week, if you made it this far, we know you're a diehard listener. Thanks so much, uh, Casey from eHunter for sharing all the news. And listen, folks, if you have feedback for those guys, or you want to learn more or you have something to add, if there's any local news or something like that, please feel free to reach out to those guys. They are really open, uh, the doors wide open to hear some of that feedback. So uh, they would love to hear from you and uh, we would love to hear from Deervane this week. Head on over to Deervane.com. Our good friend, Anthony Heller, runs a great podcast over there. It's super informative, very tactical and practical in terms of their approach. And uh, I'll actually be guesting on his podcast this week, Thursday. That'll be uh, 5.14. And I don't know when he'll have that produced, but just a heads up. Let's hear what Anthony has to say for us this week for the tip of the week. What's up, everyone? Really appreciate you guys making it this far again. Hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. Uh, I listened to it live pretty fun. Definitely gave me a new outlook. But uh, this week's tip of the week is there is no substitute for time in the woods. Uh, Whether you're turkey hunting, deer hunting, squirrel hunting, rabbit hunting, it doesn't matter. There's no substitute for for time and and effort spent in the woods. A lot of people like to think that if they buy all the best clothing, all the best bows, the best arrows, you know, the best broadheads, the best tree stands, the nicest tree saddles, whatever they spend, $30,000 on hunting equipment that they're gonna uh, be successful and that's just not the case. I know people personally that have done that and they have 200 acres of land all to themselves. They're very uh, selfish about it and they don't they don't let anyone else hunt it and whatnot and uh, they don't kill good bucks consistently because they don't put in the time. They think that if they plant food plots they're gonna kill big deer. And that's just what they think. And it's just 100% not the case because they don't figure out where the winds are coming from, how the deer move throughout the space. Uh, you know, they don't plan their entry and exit routes. They just don't put in the time and effort to learn the actual deer patterns. And that is what's going to help you be more successful in the woods. So hope that helps, guys. If any of you guys are down on your luck, at, you know, with the pandemic going on and you're out of money and you're worried about, you know, your hunting stuff, I'm sure there's other other uh, <laughs> more important things on your mind, like how, you, how you're going to get food if you're out of money. But uh, but anyway, if you if you can't buy that new bow, it's not a big deal that year this year. If you can't buy that new setup, it doesn't matter. There are some great guys who kill phenomenal deer consistently on the ground with a recurve every year, 
and uh, and what they do is just put in the time and the effort. So uh, that's my tip. Hope it helps. Hey, thanks, Anthony. That's a great tip. I uh, definitely agree with that. And it's interesting. You know, I don't have a lot of time. I got two kids, a day job, and I you know run all this stuff. The the you know the podcast and the app and. Uh, doing some more with the okayest hunter and there is really no substitute for time that being said additionally you just don't need any of that fancy gear it's really great it's shiny it's beautiful it's fun new stuff is really great and it's definitely exciting and it can really help technology has enabled a lot of us to do more we obviously just heard all that from greg trainer with the accessible hunter um but you know for any newcomer getting into hunting you know the advice i always give is buy as much used stuff as you can or get hand-me-downs and determine if you even like the sport and if we all kind of go back to our roots and how we got started i'm sure we've all killed deer uh with much less um so just putting that time in is is absolutely critical and if you want to make good use of your time a shameless plug here the where to hunt app will help ensure that you're less likely to bump another hunter or get bumped by another hunter uh, furthermore, making better use of your time outdoors and ensuring that you have a successful and safe hunt. That being said, thanks everybody so much for tuning in. We appreciate your listenership, your patronage, um, your support, your feedback, all that good stuff. I hope everyone has a great week and you're doing well, uh, staying safe and healthy. Enjoy the rest of your week and hunt public.